0: Hey everyone, I'm Jacqueline Coley. Have you been anxiously counting the minutes till Carson lays the tea in the library again? Good news, this is Downton Abbey, the official podcast. Downton Abbey, the official podcast, is a brand new weekly rewatch show, the place to be for all things related to Downton Abbey, the TV series, movie, and now, finally, the upcoming film, Downton Abbey, A New Era. I'm Jacqueline Coley, an editor at Rotten Tomatoes, and I'm going deep with your favorite Downton Abbey stars about their characters and how they came to be, going all the way back to the iconic moments of season one. Later in the series, my co-host, Anita Rani, will chat with more creators, stars, and members of the Downton Abbey crew about the new movie. Today on the show, I'm talking to Michelle Dockery, who plays the strong-willed big sister at the heart of the series. Michelle Dockery and I talked over Zoom, and I've talked to her before, but it's been, you know, on camera, with people watching, we were both dressed up, but anyway... This time, we were just chatting on a Zoom. And whenever you interview an actor whose character is kind of formidable, it can kind of take a minute to adjust and think, oh, that's right, she's acting. She's not going to roast me about my dress and what I'm wearing to dinner. And Michelle Dockery, of course, did not do that. As you'll hear, she was fabulous. And Michelle was also really thoughtful about everything that her character, Lady Mary Crawley, had been through. She's very
1: different now from who she was when we met her in in season one. The show begins with, of course, the two cousins, cousins. on uh, James and Patrick. They hear the news that both have have died on the Titanic, and of course that disrupts the family's strategy for the end tale. So Mary is partly relieved because she it was an arranged marriage and you know she didn't really you know obviously didn't have that strong feelings for (laughs) Patrick (laughs) and so she comes across as quite petulant and spoil and and really resisting her her parents want for her to you know be you know married to the right person and but at the same time she knows that it's the only way really it's the only path for her So yeah, in the beginning, she really is so unlikable and especially that relationship with Edith. I mean, she's, she's so mean. (laughs) I mean, I know that Edith gives as good as she gets. I mean, y'all
0: go like Holyfield and Tyson on, on it, like, like a nine
1: round bout. Oh wow. Well, recently I, I watched season six because I haven't seen it in so many years. And, um, I find it really useful before we, start shooting a new film you know and recently as you know we we just shot the the sequel it's useful to see particularly for me particularly the last kind of episode the most recent episodes and um I was shocked again watching that scene between Edith and Mary when Edith really goes for her and yeah and uh that storyline really I mean the, the relationship between Edith and Mary is one of my favorites it, and we have so much fun with it and it's, and but it's changed. It's evolved over time. I mean, that's, that's something that's really changed in Mary is her relationship with her sister. You know, I think they've grown out of that- Rivalry. Rivalry it's- so much, yeah. Cause they're happier, they're settled mm-hmm. and they've both found their partners. And, you know, I think it's a very sort of natural, trait isn't it in a, when someone's un- unhappy in their own situation it, they lash out and that's exactly what Mary and Edith were doing to one another but you're right she's she's evolved so much and grown up I mean when I look back she's meant to be sort of 19 I think in the mm-hmm. which I certainly was not
0: 19. <laughs> you played it very well ma'am don't don't Thanks. change yourself there <laughs> I believe it <laughs> I will say this, it's funny that you mentioned the first scenes I can think of is Robert at the table where he like slams down the the newspaper. And then the other one is like what you said with Mary, where she's like, do I have to go into full mourning? Like she Mm -hmm. was concerned about what clothes she was gonna have to wear. But really like the entail, it really sort of highlighted maybe why Mary was so obstinate at the beginning Mm -hmm. because by all rights, by the world that they live in, the firstborn is given everything. And I think for her, she's just like forever angry about it. Absolutely. First, it was like, could each one of these next installments be the one to usurp me? And then when none of that happened because they didn't have a boy, it's like, well, I'm still stuck here.
1: Absolutely. And I, and I think that that's why Mary's struggle with suitors. There's a, there's a sort of, I think the root of it is that, is that she's slightly angry at them all because it's, like Matthew and Mary's very rocky beginnings. So much of that, I think, came from Mary's anger at, at knowing that I have to do this in order to inherit. You know, it's, yeah. it's never going to be me. And, you know, there's a really poignant moment in one of the first few episodes of season one where she says to her mum, she says to Cora, you know, I, I feel like he, he wishes I was a boy, you know, yeah. her father. And they've always had a quite tricky relationship not so much now for that reason because Mary feels like she you know she
0: wasn't what they wanted her to be. I think that's even even a moment where Robert and I believe it is in season one where they're starting to really bond and Mary's in in her room in tears about it because he finally has the son that he wanted Mm -hmm. and for him a surrogate son is is good enough. Yeah Uh, yeah it was uh it was so much but Let's just put it this way: Maybe that's why Mary is so set to rebel by yeah. Mister Pamuk because that is rebellious. Like I remember that in oh, the first yeah. season, I was like, "This is very scandalous for this time frame," and Mary really put caution to the wind. She did, and that was one of the first episodes I read
1: when I was auditioning for the role. I think we read episodes one to three, and so that was episode three, and I couldn't believe what I was reading. <laughs> 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 and it really was a turning point, that whole episode, I think. It made the show really stand out from other period dramas. Just that one incident was so shocking. Mm-hmm which actually
0: I think was based on a true story. We talked to Julian and he said that that was based off of a real story that they had read out of a diary of like a great grandmother even. So this was like, they didn't hear it from the tale, but then they went back into the man of the house's diary and he literally wrote, the poor man died in his bed and nobody knew. And it's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, and it haunts her, of course it goes on to haunt
1: her for the rest of her life, of the rest, rest of the series. Because every, you know, even in season six, it haunts her again. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a woman who arrives at the hunt who she threatens to reveal what happened and it haunts her, you know, because, of course, at the time it was so scandalous. You know, it would have been it would have really taken her reputation down. But I love that she was flawed immediately. Mary, she was complicated and complex. Something awful happened to her. So she wasn't perfect. You know, I loved that in the beginning, that immediately she was vulnerable. I think it humbled her a bit too. It did, it certainly did, because initially when I read the first episode, I thought, well, she's really tough, really hard. She's, you know, got that real mean streak. And then of course that happens to her and it really softens her.
0: And then of course, Matthew really softens her as well. Matthew softens her, but the one that I wanted to talk about first that softens her is Anna and Carson. Because what's really interesting is of the two people who literally probably are closer to them, just the way the upstairs and downstairs and kids mm. are treated at that time, they're kind of shunted off until they can be sat at the table. Her relationship with Carson and the first inkling, you know, that that he held her in a special place in his heart really softened her. And again, also Anna. Yeah. And the relationship with both, both of those characters I love and in a way,
1: she is closer to Carson than she is her own father in, in many ways. And the same with Anna. She is like a sister. And I think that's what people love about the show, isn't it? It's the crossover of those relationships between above and below stairs. And Carson is, a well, and Anna, I think a good moral compass for Mary at times. Mm-hmm. You know, she <laughs> when she's about to make a decision on something or she she needs to check herself you know am i doing the right thing am i doing a good thing Mm -hmm. she often goes to anna or carson
0: not to like fast forward because we're really trying to stick in season one but i will forever be thankful for julian for mary having that moment when she finally has a good cry about matthew in carson's arms like to this day like it'll get me emotional just thinking about that moment because If you're dealing with grief, like that's the way that it comes. It's like tidal waves and empty shores. Like, And so I really loved how how she allowed herself to be really vulnerable with him. Yeah. And I feel like
1: he's the only person that she can be that vulnerable with. Everybody else, she really, like even with her dad, she really tries to hold it back. But with Carson, he just allows her it just gives her that permission I think you know Mm -hmm. to just let let go and, and and maybe you know that's something that is so interesting about the two worlds of Downton which of course is the same world but when Mary is with someone like Carson she feels like she can be more herself because the characters downstairs they are much more open and you know, show their feelings much. You know, we're, the girls are all taught to be stoic and mm. don't show your emotions. If you cry in public, it's not cool. And, you know, so perhaps there's something in that that she can allow herself to be a bit more of herself with Carson and Anna.
0: Yeah. And especially with Anne, I mean, uh, I think it's like there's like a proverb or like some like saying of like, you want to find a secret about a lady, talk to her lady's maid. Because like yeah. they know, they know where all the bodies are buried as <laughs> yes, it were. Literally, <laughs> literally know where all the bodies are buried. <laughs> but, But that too, I think... Because the image I will forever have burned in my brain is Cora, you and Anna carrying Theo, <laughs> Mr. Yeah.
1: Kamuk. When I'm his probably- head flops back is yes. one of my favorite bits. When it's Cora's reaction, Elizabeth, when she goes, oh, <laughs> <Her> reaction <laughs> when his head flops back. Because it's just, you know, that if there was any uncertainty, if he's dead or alive, like that was another <laughs> moment of it. No, he's definitely gone you know his head just sort of (laughs) lolling backwards and then of course Sophie Daisy's face when she sees it happen that amazing shot of her just coming around the door it was I remember it being a lot of fun to shoot that scene and Theo going I'll make myself as light as possible
0: I'll hold my breath you know (laughs) big man too. And um, none of you guys are are winning any weightlifting competition, thankfully. So (laughs) I appreciate your um, method acting in that moment. Thank you. Poor man across. (laughs) The other thing too, just as we're sitting here laughing about it too, but Mary, especially in season one, just people had such opinions. (laughs) And they like did not, and she invokes, I think that kind of like passionate response, both in like the horrible things that happened to her when we empathize with her and the Mm. moments where we're just like, how could you do that? And it must be so strange as the actor, like you probably have the strangest people walking up to you on the street to let you know, like I felt this moment with you. Uh, Absolutely, And, and it's really varied. You know, people will, especially in those
1: early days, as we're talking about, that she wasn't so, so nice in those early days, people would come and tell me what they thought of her, you know, and say, you know, she's awful. And, <laughs> you know, but I love, you know, I, I love those characters that you, you love and hate. You know, Tony Soprano was like that for me. I adored him and then I wanted, I was so angry with him at times. And I think it's important that characters have that complexity where one minute you you have so much empathy for them, the next minute you you really can't bear them, and I, I love that. I think it's great for an audience. I find that with Succession, I can't stop thinking about it. You know, sometimes Shiv is my favorite. Sometimes she's not. Sometimes it's Kendall. Yeah. You know, it, and and I think it, I think it's really important. I think it's a real credit to Julian and you know writers, creators, and writers out there who create these characters that are so detailed and complex and. And it's all relatable things, isn't it? I think it's yeah. people watching going, God, I would never do that, but, you know. But then sort of loving seeing somebody else do something that they think they would
0: never do, you know. I think it's interesting, too, there's every character on the show has had an arc, even the the smaller ones. Obviously, the Dowager Countess is not making huge strides <laughs> in change, but for her, yeah. it's oceans, right? Like, just yeah. her friendship with Isabel towards the end. That's oceans different than she was at season yeah. one. But... The character with the biggest, I think, shifting arc would be Barrow, but Mary's a very close Mm -hmm. second. And it is because both you and Rob were able to balance the humanity with the devastating. Mm. And how do you think you kind of keep that balance? Because people could have hated her irredeemably Mm. after certain points in the show, but they still celebrated with her on all of her big moments.
1: Well, it's something that I was always really conscious of, and in season, I know we're talking about season one, but in season six, there's that series where she's really angry and she really, she's, she's really awful with Edith and she reveals that Marigold is her daughter at that awful dinner scene. And, you know, she, and I, and I struggled that year because I, at times, you know, those episodes, because I thought, you know, she's come so far to then go backwards. Mm. And I found that with Barrow sometimes, you know, you watch him and he kind of makes, you know, leaps to being you know better and then he goes back and I I think you're right I think Rob and I sort of had a similar journey I often when people say to me who would you play if there was any other character you would play in Downton I always say Thomas (laughs) because I love him as a character and I think for that reason you know his development over time and his journey but I think I'm always being conscious of like not going too far at times with her snippiness you know she can be very snippy with Edith and other characters it's like finding a balance where mm. there's wit in it as well it's not just mean you know you could easily go sort of two-dimensional but but honestly it's it's the writing you know Julian has a way of creating these characters and these store individual stories for each character that brings out so much empathy from the, you know, whatever they're going through, the audience have empathy for them. Or if somebody has made a really awful decision or a, a mistake and you you don't like them for it, there's some kind of redemption. There's some kind of redeeming quality that comes out afterwards or, you know, no one is just good or just bad.
0: Hmm. Maybe it's your conversations with, with Julian that helped you do that. And when we spoke with him, first of all, I found it to be so refreshing. He's absolutely hilarious. And just, and whenever he talks about these characters you can tell that he loves each and every one of them. And he gave you a compliment where he was talking about you weren't afraid to make her unsympathetic at the beginning. And that Mm. allowed him later to give her this very big arc that you didn't judge her in that. And I'm just curious what your reaction is to that. And if that was your intention from the beginning.
1: First of all any compliment from the boss I'm thrilled <laughs> so, <laughs> thanks Julian. Yeah it, he's right. I think I enjoyed playing her in that way you know the unsympathetic side to her. I enjoyed it and, and I found it funny. I think it's mm. I think it's funny and it can and, can and can be sort of witty and I wasn't afraid to be unlikable. I actually really enjoyed it. And, and actually, Kristen Scott Thomas's performance in Gosford Park was a big inspiration for me. Mm. And even with her, that character, you understand why she is a certain way that she can, she is at times because of her unhappy marriage. And, you know, there's always something mm. going on underneath the character, but I enjoyed it. I mean, really, that's my, <laughs> that's my thought on it is that I enjoyed playing
0: her when she was like that. It was really fun. <laughs> What do you mark as the moment of shift? I think I saw glimpses of it when Sybil passed. Yeah. She voiced it wrong when Mary's like, do you, or Ethan was like, do you think we'll get on better? And she was just like, probably not. But. Probably
1: not. I mean, I love her honesty, is that she's, you know, so, so funny. <laughs> Yeah, I think it did soften. I mean, of course, any loss, you know, and the family. We were all so shocked for so long that that happened. And I think, yeah, I think maybe that was the first chink, you know, in her armour was Sybil. And also that Sybil was such a good person. Mm. And she says, Mary says, you know, and she says it a few times. She says it in series six as well about Sybil being such a good person and that she will never be as good a person as her sister. Mm. And You know, in some ways it kind of taught her perhaps to be kinder. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I I agree. And then, of course, Matthew changed a lot for her. And children, I think George, you know, I think she softened over time. But a lot of it was growing up. I think she was immature to begin with and young. You know, so she made terrible decisions and said some awful things because she was young too.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Matthew softened her up, but he also hardened her in moments yeah two, you know what I mean like it, it goes back and forth and mm-hmm. and part of it is because of what Robert says at the evening I don't know which of the evening when Mary's got so many suitors around her but she had spent some time with Matthew they had a spark but then she ignores him at a mm-hmm. dinner party and Robert's like you know she will have to learn that he's not a toy that you can pick up and put down whenever you feel like it and it was really mm-hmm. illustrative of her immaturity in that moment but it's it, it's that immaturity that makes her waffle between yeah. the two choices. It was very interesting mm-hmm. that, that she couldn't make that choice then.
1: I mean, that's a really good example is that particular episode where she's just playing. She's just sort of playing Matthew. And then of course, when he doesn't want her, she wants him. I mean, she's playing games and I think she's enjoying it until she doesn't get what she wants. And I think with Matthew, it ended up being, his knowing what happened with Pamuk, it got to that point for her to really let her guard down and love him, I think, because he accepted that. He accepted that that happened. She thought he was going to be angry with her. And, you know, cause I think a lot of it with Mary is her struggle with herself. It's, she dislikes herself a lot in the show. Mm. Not so much now, but she's always struggling with who she is which reflects in her relationships, you know, it's a lot of the time, it's because she's not very happy.
0: Speaking of sisters, which I thought this was very interesting, you were the youngest of three sisters. So you were technically the Sybil. I am the Sybil, yeah. I've read that you guys are very close. We are. I'm like, kind of trepidant to ask this, how much of that do you bring into Marion Downton? Because I'm sure you are not in any way similar to the way you treat your sisters as her, but... Yeah, we, we,
1: you know, and that's something that I didn't really recognise in, you know, the relationship between Edith and Mary and the way she spoke to Sybil and Edith in the beginning is because my sisters and I are really close. And, you know, we didn't fight or have that rivalry like other siblings have. So, but it's a, you know, obviously it is a common thing. It's, it's something that is, you know, in, in a lot of siblings, there is that rivalry. So it was fun to dig into that with Laura and um I'm telling you like we we would be overjoyed me and Laura when we would read a scene that that had Edith and Mary sniping at each other and if there wasn't we'd be like oh why why are they being nice to each other you know we we really had a lot of fun doing those scenes because it is you know it's more interesting and I do love that dynamic and I love how it changes over time, Edith and Mary. It's like they kind of humor each other more now rather than dig. You know, there's kind of nothing more to say to each yeah. other in a way. I think something else that helps Edith and Mary is that they live really far apart now. They, they, they live very far. So they don't see each other very often, yeah. um, which
0: possibly helps their relationship no comment on any personal reflections on that but I live in California (laughs) my family lives in Texas (laughs) (laughs) something that is a little bit on the lighter side in theory but I know it was actually on the heavier side is the close of season one Mm -hmm. I heard these were infamous for their lack of movement impracticality and worst of all smell
1: yes yeah let's start with the smell (laughs) So, some of these stunning original costumes have been worn by several actors. <laughs> so, you sometimes get, me and Laura used to call it humming. When your costumes start to hum, it's like. Oh. <laughs> It's <laughs> just sort of giving off a little hum, and it's normally by the end of the day, of course, because you've been in them all day. Yes, and they just hum, and it's not your smell; it's like somebody else's smell, and it's just really—it was it's wafting it was really out.
0: Weird. Yeah, it's yeah. wafting out of the fibers. Oh, yeah.
1: Boy. I guess that was the the time where we were wearing originals, you know, the most because it was the earlier period. Whereas as we moved into the twenties, the costumes were being made. And yeah, like you say, we were much freer by series three because the corsets came off after the war. <laughs> were you relieved? <laughs> so relieved, Jacqueline. But we could actually eat our lunches in, you know, without being sort of in pain <laughs> by the afternoon, and being able to eat a full meal as opposed to like, you know, being wary of how much we would feel bloated in this corset. You know, oh there was so much you could eat, like. So we were so relieved to get out of them. <laughs> yeah, so it really sort of freed us up. And you know, I loved I loved moving into the 20s. That
0: was my favorite. Oh, and her hair. I, I went on to do an entire episode on Mary's hair when she then the, the hairdresser who just slips the accent. Most of them look like a mess. <laughs> Oh, that was so great. Yeah. One thing that's interesting about Downton and we talked to Julian about this is obviously he's writing this for the time period, but mm-hmm. so much of it translates. And I'm just curious, what do you think Mary, like if we could fast forward her to now, do you think she would be able to deal with new modern society, would she like revel in it, like would she be like the Dowager Countess in it? I think she'd she'd revel in it but i think there would be a
1: balance i think she likes the moving into the modern world but she also is now very at home at downton she enjoys running the house and you know being the boss but at the same time she does enjoy socializing and so i think there would be a bit of a balance definitely yeah i sort of imagine she would kind of she'd have like a house in the countryside a house in london she'd be a member of all the best members' clubs and, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. she'd be a real sort of society, you know, a real sort of socialite in that sense, but then would dip out if things weren't, I don't know. I think there's a balance with Mary. I think she, she's not the rebel like Sybil was. Though she's somewhere in between. And also Edith is far more of the kind of London social life and, you know, mm. through the series, as you see, and in many ways, much more independent
0: than mary like mm. that so yeah what do you think i mean i definitely agree with you she's not as big of a rebel as sybil and it was just interesting listening to you talk about edith because edith is like robert's sister in a lot of ways she is she just wants to and appropriately she was the one who saved her but yeah it it's interesting i don't know what mary would be doing but i guarantee you though she'd be silently judging someone in her near vicinity oh of course <laughs> She would be silently judging and and she would look fabulous. Thanks again to Michelle Dockery. We had such a great chat and I think I understand Lady Mary just a bit better now. Be sure to join us next time on Downton Abbey, the official podcast for a conversation with Alan Leach he tells us that he was originally only going to play three episodes as Tom Branson, the politically fiery chauffeur who finds his place as a member of the Crawley family. Mary and Branson are, are very similar in a way and also completely opposite. I love that relationship, I have to say. I've always loved that. And it was very funny watching people as the season was going on. And Mary was single and Branson was single and everyone's like, maybe they should get together. And I always said, I mean the guy has to look slightly further outside. Like there, <laughs> Don't go no. four Don't go four doors down. That's Alan Leach next time on Downton Abbey the Official Podcast. Downton Abbey the Official Podcast is a production of Focus Features, Limina House, and Gobsmack Studios. Executive producer Diantha Parker. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe and share the podcast with all of your friends. And finally, don't miss Downton Abbey, A New Era, the much-anticipated cinematic return of the global phenomenon that reunites the beloved cast as they go on a grand journey to the south of France to uncover the mystery of the Dowager Countess's newly inherited villa. Downton Abbey, A New Era, only in theaters this spring. I'm going to leave you with one more thought from Michelle Dockery, who longs for the pace of the past. I'm Jacqueline Coley, and we'll see y'all next time.
1: Sometimes I, I feel like the nostalgia of communication being letters and, you know, without phones. I sometimes think we could do with a bit of that. But, of course, our world would fall apart without them now, but maybe just for a few days or something.